this morning for our scripture reading, I'm going to ask, we, we got to keep you on your toes around here, so I'm going to ask that everyone would stand. But as you do, turn to Romans chapter 8. As we read God's word, just in reverence for God's word, we are going to ask you to stand up with us. It won't take long, and you can sit back down. Romans chapter 8. If you have your devices, turn those on. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn there. Romans 8, we'll look at verses 16 and 17. It says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Pray with me quickly. Father, we come to you humbled this morning that you would even give us this word. You could have just been a distant God, a God who was hands-off, a God who was at arm's reach at best, a God who turned his back on us because we turned our back on you, and yet you have not only drawn closer to us, you have not only died for our sins, you have not only taken on our iniquities upon yourself and cleansed us and given us your righteousness, but then you give us your word so that we may know the ins and outs of all of that. And even though we, with our human minds, can never truly grasp 100% of what was going on cosmically, of what was going on eternally, may we try this morning to see how we can mirror your closeness, mirror your witness, mirror your drawing closer in and being a part of our lives as we do that for others as we look at this text this morning. Again, thank you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Well, good morning. My name is Justin Crow, one of the pastors here, in case anyone does not uh, know who I am. I am uh, glad to be wrapping this sermon series up, even though there's probably 500 more sermons we could uh, preach that have the word with in them or that preach a word about being with others or suffering with or bearing with. But we are going to conclude this sermon series this morning. And as we've looked at the past three weeks, we, we briefly, as a recap, three, four, whatever it was, three weeks ago, we looked at doing life with our neighbors, being involved in their lives, being present in their lives, even though their lives look drastically different than our lives. We love our neighbors by being with them and being involved with them, meeting them where they are, calling them to repent and calling them to faith in Jesus, but continuing that relationship as we looked at in the second week of this sermon series and walking with, continued relationship with. So as we do life with our neighbors. We don't get offended one time and walk away. We don't give them advice. They don't take it. Well, you didn't take my advice. I'm out. We continually walk with them. And again, calling them to Jesus, calling them to repent, calling them to faith. And then last week, Jeremy, who, if he's listening today, thank you. We blessed our socks off with that message last week. But we looked at bearing with our neighbors as they fail, as they 
as they do things that we wouldn't do or do things how we wouldn't do them, we bear with their failings, we bear with their temptations, we, we walk with them, and we do that with each other as well. We bear with, we put up with, as he said. And then this week, we will look at suffering with our neighbors, suffering with our brothers and sisters. This is bearing with, taking a step further, basically. And we see this here in the text we just read in Romans eight sixteen and 17. We see here, not an if we suffer, not a possibility that we will suffer, not a, well, we'll see how it goes if you will suffer or not. The word here is provided. This means that we will suffer. It will happen. No matter, there's no escaping this. It is provided you suffer. This means that in order, though, this is a caveat of that text. In order to be glorified with Christ, in order to inherit the kingdom, as it says here, to be co-heirs with Jesus, in order to do that, we must suffer. It is contingent upon us suffering with Christ. It says suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. See, suffering in life, There's everybody says, or death and taxes, right? The two sure things. Well, you can add suffering in there. Suffering, taxes is suffering, but that's a whole other thing. But suffering is included. It is a common human condition. Every one of you, even if you're the youngest person in here, whoever that is, you've suffered somehow. You've gotten a spanking or you've gotten your hands swatted when you reach for the cookie or something. And then the older you get, the more that's true. And the suffering is 100%. It is no respecter of people. It is no respecter of power. It is no respecter of money. It does not care who you are. It does not care what you have. It does not care where you have been. Suffering knows no bounds. It affects everyone. 100% of people. Now, suffering takes on many forms. Some of them are natural things, like the, the weather, or like aging. Everybody in here that's getting on up in age, you won't call out names for that one. Our bodies are breaking down. They're changing. We notice we wake up in the morning and we're injured from sleeping. Okay, We went to bed not injured and we woke up injured. I did that literally this week. And it, it must have been a sermon example because it went away. I don't know what it was. But I even It was so bad I had my wife look at it. And she was like, oh, yeah, yeah, it looks like you've done something. Next day, fine. Okay, Our bodies are breaking down. Some of us, hair is turning grayer a little quicker than others. Some of us wish they had the hair to turn gray, won't call our names there either. Our bodies are breaking down. We're aging. We're suffering in this way. Some suffering is major. Loss of a child. Loss of a parent at a really young age. Cancer diagnoses. Diagnoses. Poverty. Abuse. Some are minor. Allergies. Migraines. Broken bones that heal. These are, they, they seem major in the moment. They're minor in the grand scheme of things. Some are your own fault. Poor decisions you've made, whether in the past or today. Poor decisions leads to suffering. Some are the fault of others because they did not take into account who they were affecting. And then the sufferer is actually not the person that did it. It's, it's this person's fault and this person suffers. And then some of them are simply no one's fault. Let's just be honest. We live in a sinful, fallen world and things don't always have to be blamed on someone, but they're still suffering. It's still a struggle. The point is, we all experience some type of suffering, 
probably all of these types of suffering, or we will if we live long enough. There is no escaping it. And yet many of us spend a large portion of our lives trying to avoid it when it's unavoidable. But we, we're risk averse. We don't, well, I can't do that. It might lead to this. Or I can't, I can't go there because it might lead to this. So the question becomes then, if suffering is universal, everyone goes through it. Christian, non-Christian, doesn't matter what religion you are, doesn't matter any of those things. It's universal. Then what differentiates the ones who will inherit the kingdom with Christ and be glorified with him and the ones that will not? Because there's obviously a disclaimer there at the end of these verses in Romans 8. The ones who suffer with Christ will inherit the kingdom. That automatically then implies that there will be some that do not inherit the kingdom. Right? But we just said those people suffer. So there will be people who suffer who do not inherit the kingdom. So what's the difference? What distinguishes suffering, just regular, normal, everyday, can't avoid it suffering, and suffering with Christ? And here's the thing. This is where the wording is very peculiar here. I think it's obviously purposeful. God makes no mistakes. The word here is with. It could have said, provided we suffer for him, we will be glorified with him. Then it would be rather clear. If we suffer for Jesus, we suffer for the sake of Christ's name. We suffer the consequences if they ever come from the government or from others or from other religions or from any kind of persecution that comes. In order to make Jesus' name famous, in order to make his name known, we, we suffer for him. We see this idea all over scripture. We see this in present day. We read of martyrs in scripture. We read of martyrs during that time in other texts. We can... If you really want to, you can read about more martyrs today than even back then. It is still going on to this day. One of my favorite verses in all of, all of Scripture is Acts chapter 5, verse 41. These dudes were beaten and told, don't talk about Jesus. And they left, and it says they left rejoicing they had been counted worthy to be tortured for his name or to suffer for his name. Whereas... Many of us would just avoid that. I'll avoid the beating and the rejoicing, and I'll call that good enough. And yet these guys walked headlong into it. That's suffering for Jesus. And we are called to do that as well. But that's not today's sermon. What it says here in Romans, it doesn't say we must be willing to sacrifice our lives and livelihoods. That is in the text. That is in the Bible. You should be willing to do that. But it says here, suffer with Christ. With Him. Now, before you go all Nicodemus on me, how are we going to be born again? How are we going to travel back in time and suffer with Jesus? He left. Okay, bear with me. What does this mean? Charles Spurgeon says this, We must not imagine that we are suffering for Christ or with Christ if we are not in Christ. But we must also not conclude that all Christians' sufferings are suffering with Christ either. Suffering that God accepts as with Christ must have God's glory at its end, as its end. Meaning the goal of it, the reason we're doing it. We are a follower of Jesus. That does not mean every bit of our suffering is for Jesus, with Jesus, or anything to do with Jesus per se. Sometimes suffering is just suffering unless... 
you are suffering with the intent of making God's glory go forth. Unless you are suffering with the intent of Christ being at the forefront and being the reason why and being the intent of that suffering. This is our goal. This is our end, as he puts it. And we must willingly step into suffering in order to glorify him. But that does, still doesn't answer how we are suffering with Christ. This implies a togetherness. I hope to accurately and faithfully help us understand that in two different ways today of how we are suffering with Jesus. The first is to combine our sermon text today with the teaching of Jesus himself. I think we have a slide for this. I don't know. Matthew 25. Read along with me and see if you can connect these dots. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? Clothe you? When did we seek, see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You see, Jesus always identifies with his people. This is why in Acts chapter 9, when Saul is stopped on the Damascus road, Jesus does not say, Hey, Saul, why are you persecuting my people? What does he say? Why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? This is Jesus speaking to Saul, saying, why are you persecuting me when Jesus had already ascended? Jesus is identifying there with his people. And we see this again in this parable. When did we do these things for you, Jesus? I don't recall ever doing that for you, Jesus. I don't ever remember seeing you naked and clothing you. I don't remember doing these. He answers when you did it for the least of these. In church, I hope it's been made clear over the last three weeks, this is our call. The least of these are all of the people that surround this building. That's what society would tell you. These are the least of these, the cast-off. And this is the first way we suffer with Jesus. We suffer with people. And you may say, well, there's a caveat there. Jesus is talking about his people. Okay, then you go out here and tell me which ones he's going to call to save and which ones aren't. And then you suffer with those people. We can't make that distinction. We don't know who they are. So we suffer with people in the hopes that they then become the people of Jesus. We open ourselves up when others are busy protecting themselves. And here's the thing. We're not just willing to do this, okay? If the opportunity presents itself, I'll do this. I'm willing to if I need to. You know, the whole, what if a guy comes in here with a gun? Would you denounce Jesus or not? First of all, I, who knows how that would, how we would react. I would love to say that all of us would be like, yeah, shoot me. But that's a, that's a willingness if they were to come in. What we're talking about here is they, we purposely look for ways in which we can do this. 
we actively seek out ways in which we can suffer with people. You see, this implies that we are doing the first three sermons well. Because if you go try to do sermon number four today, and you've not done any of the first three, then you're a stranger to these people. They don't know you. You're asking questions of them, and your heart may be in the right place. You're just asking questions. You're curious. You want to know. They don't see it that way. They're going to see it as you're invading their life, and you're not a part of their life. You're a cop. You're a snitch. You're whoever. Okay? These are all ways in which they're going to view you. But we must do all of this sermon series. And then they will invite you in. And then you say yes. We say yes. I say yes. Because my natural inclination, I'm going to go ahead and confess to you since we've already done the prayer confession. Give you material for next week. My natural inclination is to say no. In my head, it's almost it's it's a no. Say yes, be with them, suffer with them. See them hungry and feed them. Thirsty, give them drink. Invite them in, clothe them, visit them. All of these are examples that cannot be done from over here. Or in this building if they're not here. It is something you must do with a person. In their presence. I cannot clothe you. Now, yes, you can donate clothes. and go get... Let's not get loopholes here. I can't feed you if I'm not with you. I cannot. I definitely can't visit you. Now, Zoom, blah, blah, COVID, thanks for all that. But I can't visit you if I'm not with you, if I'm not in your presence. You must be with people, in their presence, in their lives. And all of these are a sacrifice. You also can't feed, visit, clothe, give someone something to drink without then sacrificing your own money, your own time, your own something, your own drink, your own whatever it is that you are sacrificing in order to suffer with these people. This is suffering with. We enter into the suffering of others because, and here's where we must pray to God to change our hearts, because we truly care about them. Not because we're checking a box. We truly care about them. And I don't... <laughs> we can Jesus do that and say, because we care about their eternal destiny. And absolutely. But do you also care about their tomorrow? Like when they're still living and Jesus hasn't returned and they've not died and they've still got to be hungry again tomorrow. We also need to care about that. Now if that's our end goal, remember Spurgeon's quote, if that's our end goal... That's not suffering with Jesus. That's just suffering with that person. I'm not even saying that's a bad thing. It's just not the complete thing we're talking about. It's not the Jesus thing we're talking about. The problem here is that truly caring and truly loving will inevitably hurt. It's going to hurt. If everyone in this room does this, it will hurt you. It will require sacrifice. It will require cost. Suffering with people will cause you to shed tears. It will cause you to lose sleep. It will cause you to take phone calls from the jail. And you pay for them. It will cause you to do uncomfortable things that could easily, easily be avoided. Easily. This will cause you to be angry, to cry, to celebrate the tiniest victories you've ever celebrated in your life. 
because you made it a week sober or because you did this for a week when we've done it our whole lives only to have that followed by crushing defeats because it only lasted a week or it only lasted a day but it was a good day we celebrate those and then we're crushed because that person backtracked and it doesn't always have to be drug addiction I know I use that as the example all the time because I'm immersed in it week by week but not actual addiction but y'all can, hopefully y'all understand what I mean <laughs> But there have been plenty of times I have been more upset about a relapse than the person who relapsed. Like they don't seem, it's just life to them. Yeah, I've done this a thousand times. I've done it once with this person. So I'm, I'm like, what's the end of the world? And they're like, yeah, it's Thursday. So if done correctly though, suffering with others will hurt. It'll hurt a lot. And it'll hurt over and over and over again. Any, anybody else here have a dad who was or should have been a doctor? I don't see any hands raised. My dad was a farmer and a preacher. Let me ask it a different way. Any of you have a dad who you go to him and go, Dad, it hurts when I do this. His response was, don't do this, right? That's a doctor. Like, that is a doctor right there. Don't, don't do that, Okay. In all honesty, it's good advice. I mean, really. If it hurts, don't do it. If it's dangerous, don't try it. If it's risky, stay away from it. This is the exact opposite of what Jesus is saying here. The exact opposite. You see, Jesus sees our suffering as a prerequisite and our suffering with as a given if we want to inherit the kingdom of God. So then we go to Jesus we say it hurts, Jesus. It hurts when I actually care for people, when I actually love them, and they just don't care. When I'm vulnerable, it hurts. When I build relationships with people, it hurts. I open myself up, Jesus. It it hurts. I try, and I try, and I try, and I try, and I try with certain people, and they just will not listen, Jesus. It hurts. And his response, unlike our dad's, is I know it hurts, son. Now go do it again. And go do it again. I know it hurts, daughter. Now go do it again. Instead of staying away from that behavior that hurts you, go do it again. That's the sermon in the sentence right there. It hurts. Go do it again. But why? It makes no sense. If I'm preaching this to a, to a bunch of non-Christians, at least half, if not more, of the room is like, this sounds stupid. You're, you're risking things. You're hurting yourself. For, for what? We step into the suffering of others when it could be easily avoided. We step in... When we've tried before and before and before and again and again and we've told them the same thing and the same thing and the same thing and the same thing. But the question then as to, or the answer to why do we do this is do we trust? Do we trust the word of Jesus? Do we trust the word of God that says all things work out for good and for our good and his glory for those who are called according to his purpose? 
that our light momentary affliction is preparing for us a weight of glory beyond all comparison? Do we trust that the sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us? Where's that found, Justin? The verse right after this one sermon text. We read Romans 16 and 17. Romans 8, 16 and 17. Romans 8, 18 is that verse. The sufferings of this world, provided we suffer with him, but the sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us and for us. Do we trust? Do we believe this? If we do, we go. If we do, it hurts, but we do it again. We walk calmly into pain. We sign up for the hurt. We remember that it is not about us at all. That's the end of the sentence. There's no but. It's not about us. It's not about me. It is about Jesus. This call is not an easy one. It hurts. It's painful. It's unpleasant. It angers us. It saddens us. Jesus recognizes that. He doesn't say enjoy it. He says joy in it. That's the quirkiest like one-liner you're ever going to get from me. But he's not saying it's going to be fun. Sign up for it. It's like a water slide at the park. It's, it's a really cool something. Nope. It's suffering. There's, there's no... In the original Greek, suffering was actually not that bad. It's not that. It's bad. Jesus says it's bad. It is suffering. You don't enjoy it, but you have joy in it. And this is the second way we suffer with Jesus. It's with Jesus as the answer. With Jesus as the hope. The second way this word with is different than the word for is that we are suffering with our neighbor, with Christ, as the neighbor's answer. As the neighbor's hope. See, we're suffering with those. We're stepping into the mess where sometimes the mess is our own making. Sometimes it's y'all's fault and we have to step in. Sometimes it's my fault and y'all have to step in. But notice that nowhere in Jesus' parable does it does it even reference why the person was in jail? Why was he hungry? Why was he naked? Why was he this, that, or the other? It actually doesn't say that we said anything. When I was naked, you clothed me. It doesn't say you gave me a speech before you clothed me. It doesn't say you reprimanded me because I was in jail again, and then you visited me. It just says you visited must try to hone the skill. I must try to hone the skill of not asking God why. Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my friend? Why is this? Why is this? Why is this? Instead, uh, the answer to that is because he is God. He is sovereign. So there, you don't have to ask anymore. But start asking what and how. What are you teaching me? What are you showing us? What are you showing this person and how can I be faithful to glorify you in it? How can I be faithful to glorify you in how I suffer with this person? How can I be faithful in how I suffer myself when it's my fault? All of these things. But we also need to fight the urge to ask that for other people or to other people. Why is this happening? People are walking with Jesus. Hey, there's a blind dude over there. Is it his fault or his parents' fault? And Jesus is like, uh... It was the dumb question you just asked fault. Like, I'm going to glorify myself in this. That's why it's done. And here's the thing. 
The dude, who knows how old he was, blind his whole life. Jesus heals him, and he sees Jesus for the first time. At no point ever was that guy probably like, why do you have to be blind all those years? Like, couldn't I have just skipped that part? He saw Jesus. He was good with that. If that's what it took to get him to Jesus, then that was good news to him. Job chapter 16. Almost halfway through the book. Job has lost everything. Y'all know the story. It's not a good day for Job. He's sitting in ashes, which is that's what I do when I'm sad. Sitting in ashes, sackcloth, crying, upset. His friends have been talking to him for about 14 chapters because the first two are telling what happened, and then they step in, right? For 14 chapters. And he says, I have heard many things. What miserable comforters you all are. Be encouraged. We're done. I'm just kidding. They kept trying to explain to Job, well, you must have done this, or this must have happened, or this, 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 why, 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 this is why, this is why. Have you thought about this? Mm, are you lying to us, Job? You notice he doesn't rebuke them in chapter 2, though. Because what does it say they did in chapter 2, if you know the story? They show up, and they sit in silence for seven days. Y'all, I can't be quiet for seven minutes. Like, seven days. I think every awkward silence on the planet has to be filled with this voice. That's my MC. They're laughing. They sat with him. They were with him. But let, I'm not the only one that struggles with that. It's hard for us to, to just be, to just sit in the awkwardness, to sit in the tension, to sit in the pain. But it doesn't say suffer with and blame. It doesn't say suffer with and explain away or how you could have done this better. Have you thought about trying it this way next time? Now, here's the thing. There's an element to that in suffering with. If we're, if we're never going to offer advice, then if we have good, godly, biblical advice, then, then what are we doing? The problem is, is many times we, we do this step without doing the other steps of sitting and just being with of sharing the gospel with them and not trying to explain away their poor decision making or their bad behaviors. We just want to get them out of the trouble they're in. But to what end do we do any of this? If the end is not Christ, if it is not the gospel, we are not suffering with Christ. We're simply suffering, which is a universal thing, remember. We're simply suffering. I don't know if we're doing it for our own image. I don't know if we're doing it because we can brag about it on Facebook. I don't know if we're doing it for this reason, that reason, or the other. But if the end is not the gospel, it is not suffering with Christ. See, lots of people outside of our faith, faith use this universal suffering. Have you looked around this world? It's so bad. It's so bad. It's so bad. There must not be a God. But here's the fallacy. This does nothing to eliminate or soothe the suffering. There's nothing to take it away. The suffering is still there. It is still universal, and it is still bad out there. Watch the news for one minute. You can see it's all bad. But here's the thing is, denying the existence of God simply makes all of that meaningless. All of that's random. All of that is happenstance at best. God is the one and only one who gives any meaning to our suffering, any purpose to our suffering, any hope 
in our suffering. God is the only one that provides that. He's the only one that makes your suffering more than just random circumstance. And then he promises to use it for good. Jesus is the only one who promises to put an end to that suffering, to make all things new, to renew everything, to wipe every tear, to heal every sickness, to kill death itself. Yes, you will have tribulation, but what does Jesus promise? Take heart, I have overcome the world. The Spirit is the only one who says, I am here with you. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm with you in the valley. I'm with you. I will help you. I'll give you strength to endure. I'll give you clarity on how to navigate it. I'll give you hope when all seems hopeless. I'll give you wisdom to see what God was doing after the fact. The Spirit walks with us. Alistair Begg puts it this way. Christianity does not offer a removal of suffering on this earth, but only the grace to endure it. That is a beautiful picture of what God is doing. It's not just random. Our suffering, whether we willingly step into it on purpose or whether it just happens to us, both are covered under the same promise that God is doing something. It's not meaningless and you should not be hopeless. This is why we go into the fray. This is why we willingly and purposefully step into the suffering of others and we do it armed with hope. The hope only found in Christ. The hope only found in Jesus. The one who promises to do anything about it. We suffer with Christ as the means. We suffer with Christ as the end. We suffer with Christ as the answer. We suffer with Christ as the reason. And we suffer with Christ as the hope. And sometimes, that means we do so silently. And we get no credit The ministry of presence cannot be overstated when someone is hurting. Suffering with someone does not mean that you identify with them either. I know right where you've been. Never mind. But you don't know where these people have been. You've not been there. A lot of you. Neither have I. So if we walk in and say, I know exactly how you feel. Your credibility is shot already. No, you don't. And furthermore, just this is a complete side note, not on my paper. Just let's wipe that all the way out of our vocabulary. My grandmother died, your grandmother died. I still don't know exactly how you feel. So let's just not say it. Because you may have hated your grandma while I loved mine, or vice versa. We don't have to, though. You know why? Because Jesus does know how you feel. Jesus does know what that feels like. Jesus has been there. Doesn't mean he's been an addict he's been tempted the same way. He has withstood that temptation. He knows your pain. He knows your struggle. This doesn't mean we go become an addict so we can identify with addicts. It might mean you sit with them while they're dope sick. Some of y'all are like, I don't know what that means. Google it. It's not pretty. It might mean you go visit them in jail when you know they're not getting out because they've messed up big time this time. It might mean that you clothe them even though you know they lost all their money buying lottery tickets instead of clothes. Doesn't mean you know how that feels. I don't know of any of y'all that have done that. It doesn't mean you have to be homeless, an immigrant, a refugee, a minority, or any of the above to suffer with them, but it does mean you got to be there. It does mean you got to be with them. This week, a former 
resident of Program Living stopped by our office and talked with me for a minute. And uh, to put it mildly, life had not been kind to, to this individual. He was homeless. He was high. He was dirty. He smelled terrible. He looked terrible. There was nothing redeeming about his appearance or about the way he was talking to my own minute. I said a lot of things to that dude that day. Hopefully all in love. I, I didn't go off on him or any of those things, but I said a lot of things trying to help in the moment. He responded to all of them with, I know, telling him, well, you went right back to, the, to where the problem exists. I know. You, you ran away from all the people that cared about you. I know. You really need to turn back to Jesus and turn back to the people that are willing to help you and love you. I know. We're here for you. We always have been. I know. We want to help you. I know. This is the whole conversation. None of us made an impact. He, he wasn't impressed by any of those things. And here's the thing. Doubt he remembers a single one of them today. As he was leaving, though, he said to me, man, thank you. I would give you a hug, but I'm dirty and sweaty. I said, I'll give you a hug. So he came in and he gave me a dirty, sweaty, nasty hug. So now I smell terrible as well. And he looked at the friend he was with and he goes, that's a true friend. And I don't even know that I am a true friend to this person because he, this is six years of dealing with this dude. Over, same cycle, over and over and over and over and over again. The point is, though, he's not going to remember a word I said, but he'll remember I hugged him. And this is not a pat on the back, because I'm going to tell you right now, my initial response was, heck no, I don't want to hug you. Have you smelled yourself? Have you seen yourself? And yes, you are sweaty. It was such an object lesson for me, though. The only reason I'm sharing it is because I'm a talker. I like to talk. But sometimes, after you've made clear you love Jesus, after you've made clear they should love Jesus, this dude, six years, he's heard the gospel from us a few times. Okay? I'm, again, I'm never, I'm never advocating that we don't speak the gospel, we just live it. We just hug it out and hope they get the gospel. That's not what I'm saying. But he's heard it. We've been a part of this dude's life. That's why he came back to program living. He, here's the secret. He wasn't even coming to see me. The person he was coming to see wasn't there, and I was good enough. But after they know we love Jesus, a hug sometimes speaks so much louder than words. I was watching, a, I saw like three minutes of a movie last night because I'm tired and I go to sleep when TV comes on. And it's this movie, I've seen it before, but it's called Only the Brave, about the, the firefighters that go fight forest fires or, or wildfires, and they get dropped, like, literally in the middle of the fire. So they're, they're, they're uh, big, burly men. And there's a scene where they're sitting on the porch, and the guy doesn't know what to do, and he pours his heart out. This is perfect timing for me to see this three minutes of this movie. Pours his heart out to this older guy that's been there before. He's a hot shot as well, this guy. He's like, I don't know what to do. That was his last line. He said, I feel like, and he told a story about a bear being on fire, blah, blah, blah. He said, I don't, I feel like that bear where this way is wrong and this way is wrong. And the scene ended with the old guy reaching across and putting his hand on his shoulder. And you know what he said? Nothing. And 
that was the thing. And I get it. It's a movie based on a true story, though. So, but he was present. He was there. He didn't say anything. He didn't solve the problem. Well, you really should go that way. The dude probably still didn't know what to do. But he knew he wasn't alone. Such an object lesson to me. Yes, we have to speak the gospel. Yes. Always. Now, I wish that story ended with, and here he is, the guy that came by program the other day. He's cleaned up, and Jesus has changed his life. The truth is, he's probably high. Because he, he called another treatment program. They accepted him. They said they would come pick him up in their car. And he did not show. I can only assume what that means for him. And that hurts. Part of me, selfishly, it hurts because, I mean, I'm awesome and I gave great advice. Why didn't he take it? But the other part of that that hurts is because I know what that means for his today. I want to shake the dude half to death and, as my dad would say, knock some sense into him, whatever that means. But I know Jesus is telling me that if he shows up again this week, he's going to say to me, I know it hurts, son. Do it again. Hug him again. Share the gospel with him again. Open yourself up again. We do this for the sole purpose. Soul. The only purpose of this is to proclaim Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the hope. Jesus is the redeemer. He is the rescuer. He is the one who loves them with much more love than we could possibly muster. We are simply trying to give them a glimpse or mirror that to them. We do all of this because this is what Jesus did. Jesus perfectly did life with those who were cast off and least of these. He purposely continued to walk with perfectly Continue to walk with them. Forgive them. They kept turning on him. They kept denying him. They kept doing all of these things that we probably would have been like, all right, that's enough. I'm out. He just kept on and kept on and kept on. He bears with us as we fail. He bears with all of us as we stumble. He suffers with us. He knows our temptation. He knows our struggle. He knows these things and he is with us. He is, after all, the suffering Messiah, the man of sorrows. You see, Jesus didn't just suffer on the cross, had a hunky-dory life, led to a really bad ending. No. His whole life was a sacrifice. His whole life was a cost. His whole life was spent in and amongst the ones who were his enemies in the hopes that they would turn to him in faith, that they would turn to him in saving faith. He touched the lepers. He contacted the unclean. He hung out with the tax collectors. He washed the feet of others. He hugged children. He made room for women when society didn't. He welcomed the outsider. And praise God, he welcomed the outsider because that's all of us because we're the Gentiles. But he welcomed them in and said, they're mine. This is why it is incumbent on all of us to step into suffering, whether that's suffering of our brothers and sisters in this room because some of y'all are suffering. Some of y'all are suffering silently, and I want to encourage you, don't do that anymore. Please come talk to us. Some of you are suffering. Some of us, we know you're suffering. And I want to encourage, 
our church to wrap our arms around these people as they suffer. And it's going to hurt you too. But it's also a call to suffer with, to wrap our arms around people that don't even know Jesus yet and may not. But I don't know which ones those are. And some of you may say, well, I've got a hard life myself. I've got enough suffering of my own. I'm not arguing with that. You probably do. And to that I would say, though, because let's be honest, God is, for whatever reason, His sovereignty blessed some people with a pretty good life. They don't have a whole lot of suffering. And then other people, it just seems like they've got a, a two-leaf clover in their pocket at all times instead of the four. It's like they're one short all the time, and it's not really their fault. So does that mean the two-leaf clover people are exempt from this and only the four-leaf clover people step in? That's not on the paper either, so if it didn't make sense. But some of you may be thinking, well, I've got a, I've got a hard life on. It may be more incumbent upon you to step in. 2 Corinthians 1, 4, and 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Who better to proclaim the gospel to a sufferer than a sufferer? Someone who's seen the good news of the gospel play out in their life when it looked like things were hopeless. Things that, people who have seen Jesus help them when they were helpless themselves. And you can go to people that are also hopeless and also helpless and say, I've got the answer to the test, bro. Those were always the best test days when the teacher was like, I'm just going to give you the test with the answers already marked. Go home, study it for two days. I, I aced all those because it's just memorization. Did I learn anything? Eh. Right, but the answer's already given to you. Jesus is the answer. It's not you. You don't have to have all the answers because that's what we like to say. I don't know what I would say. Good. Gospel. Giving you the answer. Jesus, that's the answer. Jesus is the answer. We are his ambassadors. We want to mirror him, and this is what he did. The word would tell you it's stupid. There's one side of America that I tell you, tell them to pick up their bootstraps and move on. They can do it themselves. I did it myself. They can do it themselves. Work harder. Then the other side would tell them they're a lost cause anyway. Don't worry about it. They're not going to pick them up by the bootstraps, and you can't even help them do so. And to both of them, I would say, there's some truth to that. The good news is I'm not trying to help them with their bootstraps. I'm trying to help them follow Jesus. I'm helping them to see Jesus. I'm helping them to proclaim Jesus. I'm hoping that they will see their suffering as a universal problem and go, there's got to be an answer. And it's clearly not this, 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 and this. What's this Jesus guy about? And that's where we step in. That's where we as a church must embody this here in this neighborhood with a bunch of hopeless and helpless people not to pull on their bootstraps. And this is how we will see revival when we stand out from every other form of help that the world throws at them. Instead of trying to solve the problem from the outside, we get dirty and try to help from the inside. In their lives, with them, you know who probably has the best solutions for this neighborhood? In this neighborhood. They just don't know how to pull it off. They don't have the resources to pull it off. 
May we step in, suffer with them, walk with them, bear with them in patience, and then point them to Jesus. If 99% of this neighborhood started following Jesus and truly living that out, you don't think that would make an impact? Or 50%. Let's just shoot low. You don't think that would make an impact in this neighborhood, in the, the society things, the things culture deems important? And all the while, we're just trying to make disciples. We're just trying to multiply. We're just trying to proclaim Jesus. And the byproduct of that is all of these other dominoes falling. This is how we see revival. Is that we see our suffering and see the suffering of others step in and see it all as light momentary affliction in the light of eternity. In that same devotion that I read from earlier from Charles Spurgeon, it says, Let us search and see if we truly suffer with Jesus. And if we do thus suffer, what is our light momentary affliction compared with reigning with Him? Oh, it is so blessed to be in the furnace with Christ and to such an honor to stand in the pillory with Him. Even if there was no future reward, we might count ourselves happy in present honor. But when the recompense is so eternal, so infinitely more than we had any right to expect, shall we not take up our cross with cheerful readiness and go on our way rejoicing? Even if there was no reward, it would be worth it. And yet, look what we are promised. And that is what we hope to carry out of these doors to a, a group of people that can then join us in that reward. That's why it's not selfish. That's why we're not doing it for our image. That's why we're not doing it for us and ourselves and so we can brag about it or any of this. It's so that Jesus gets honor and hopefully there are people out there that are not saved today that will be in this church building next week, next month, next year praising Jesus for this reward because we stepped in. We were present. We had one goal, one intention, one end, and that end is Christ. Let's pray.